This is such a beautiful day as we celebrate Mother's Day, but more importantly, it is a time we worship our great God, and also we have uh, witness the parent dedication. Uh, our church is a family uh, a spirit that is very strong uh, in our culture here. So we are so thankful to journey together with a family as we continue to raise godly second generation for the gospel and for the Lord as well. Uh, just again, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers, expecting mothers, uh, grandmothers and great-grandmothers uh, who are in our midst or watching through live streaming or the recording later. Um, you know, this is a perfect Sunday to expound on 1 Corinthians 13 on the topic of uh, love. And love remains a major theme uh, in movies, in novels, and in human life. Not only because we long for it, but because we can't live meaningfully without it. Though we are filled with writings and talks about love and how to love and what is love, you know, we are as confused as before. And the hunger for love is as pressing as ever. The Bible says God is love, and we love because God first loved us. It points us back to the original source of love, God, to sort out the confusion. So today, as we begin the preaching, that will be divided over two Sundays on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We want to dwell in the first part of uh, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, verses 1 to 7. So if you have your Bible, uh, either electronically or hard copy, you can follow along as I read to you. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In a previous message, Paul was exhorting the Corinthians to desire the higher gift in verse 31 of chapter 12. And that higher gift is a gift of prophecy, of expounding God's word to edify the body of Christ, which he will explain more fully in chapter 14 later on. But before we can desire the higher gifts of preaching and teaching God's word, you need to seek a still more excellent way. As you continue in chapter 12, verse 31, uh, verse you need to seek a more excellent way, which is the way of love. Because love completes the exercise of spiritual gift. And in this chapter, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, verses 1 to 3, we begin with the necessity of love. Love is essential. You can't get on, you can't serve, you can't exercise spiritual gift without love. And in these short three verses, he was reiterating the spiritual gift that the church of Corinth was so uh, boastful about, so arrogantly tried to express it in their lives. 
and try to tone it down and to remind them that without love, they are nothing. In verse 1, that is the, the way of communication. If I speak in the tongues of men, that's the human languages. Here he is describing a, a gifted linguist. And if I can speak the language, the tongues of angels, angelic language, we don't know whether we exactly know what it is, but at least we can show that, we can know that it is a higher level of linguistic ability, a more advanced level of language ability on this individual. But if you can speak the tongues of men and angels, but you have no love, you're not acting lovingly, you're not actively seeking the benefits of other people, you become a noisy gong and a cleaning symbol. Meaning, it is empty. It produces hollow reverberation. It is annoying, in fact. It turns people off. See, when a gift of communication is used to impress only, to gain recognition only, but without love, it is like fingernails scratching against a blackboard. I don't know if you ever experienced that. It gives you goosebumps and, and makes you cringe. That's how it felt if we have the gift of communication without love. But when the way of love is added, it will be like music to the ears and reaching you and edifying you and you hope the music never ends. You want encore. That's how it feels when love is added to the way of communication. Verse 2 talks about the way of power, which the church in Corinth was so, so arrogant about. They want to brag about their power, their ability, their gift. And three charismatic gifts were mentioned. In verse 2 says, if I have prophetic power, which we mentioned, the ability to preach and to teach, to bless the community. It's a wonderful gift. To understand all mysteries, which is the ability to make plain, difficult and complex issues puzzles most people. And, and to understand all knowledge, which is the ability to understand and master facts and information. Powerful intellectual ability. Not only that, but also all faith to move mountains. He talks about this individual with a special faith to overcome obstacles for mighty works. And this all mysteries and all knowledge and all faith, the, the full measure of all this gift will be nothing to God if there is no love. You know, think about this, the rare combination of this oratorial skill and insights and, and strong faith within a person is the makeup of a, of a leader with vision and eloquence and charisma has the potential to mobilize the mass, to capture the imagination, and to create movements. But without love, it is merely a self-serving power to propagate your own agenda, to twist the facts for your own advantage. The faith that is without love is a toxic faith that 
is brainwashing and manipulating other people, like most cults who employ this tactic to attract followers and to keep followers. But when the way of love is added to the way of power, it edifies and blesses those who follow you. That's the power of love. In verse 3, it talks about the way of sacrifice. It, it takes you one step further. Verse 3 says, If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Here is a generosity of unprecedented magnitude. You remember Warren Buffett and Bill Gates have inspired many billionaires to a giving pledge to give away half or more of your wealth to charity. But this individual here, he gives all. He went beyond that. And he goes to the ultimate sacrifice of giving up his life as a martyr. And such sacrifice is nothing when it is not done in love. You see, charity without love, if it is for the sake of elevating your reputation and for your personal gain, it leaves a bad taste in the recipient's mouth. They feel they are being used and they are merely a statistics. Though, though, to the credits, it quenches the thirst and eliminates the hunger, but it bruises the human dignity. It trivializes the spirit of charity. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 showed an impressive list of all his sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. He encountered danger on the sea, danger on the lane. He was lashed three times, 40 times minus one. He listed all the things that he has done for the sake of the gospel. And in verse 30, he says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. Paul's personal suffering for the gospel, for the salvation of others, were also worthless if it is without love. And martyrdom as a heroic measure to gain accolades or recognize with a monument being built for you or a plaque is given on a wall to acknowledge you or you are being placed in history that inspires generation, but without love, you gain nothing. But if you do it with love, others will be blessed, others will be served, life will be edified, a legacy will be left for those who come after you. That's the power of love. The way of sacrifice has to be completed by the way of love. Love is absolutely essential. That's the point that Paul is trying to convey to you and me this morning. See, Paul was not setting love in contrast to gift, like love is better than gift. He was arguing for the necessity and supremacy of love if one has to behave as a Christian. To be a loving Christian is more important than a serving Christian. Love is more important than Christian service. 
When love is added to the Christian service, it is made complete. They have to come together. So Paul reminds us that the gift of the Holy Spirit expressed in the Christian service must be undergirded by the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the first of which is love. If I can rewrite the first three verses in today's language, probably I can do it this way. If I can preach 1 Corinthians chapter 13 eloquently and impress many people and receive millions of hits in the YouTube, but without love, I am like a fire truck air horn blasting away annoyingly, annoying. If I can write a scholastic commentary on 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and other chapters and, and receive good reviews, and the book was elected as the book of the year in Christianity today. But without love, I gain nothing. If I can work 24-7, 365 for the sake of the gospel and die prematurely due to overwork, but without love, I am nothing. If love is so essential, we better find out what is love, right? So in the following verses, verses 4 to 7, Paul begins to reveal, unveil for us the character of love. In a way, he was trying to define love, but how do you define love? It's almost impossible. We can describe love much better than defining love. And you can recognize love through the expression of its character, of its characteristics. And in chapter 12, verse 31, Paul says, I will show you a still more excellent way. Paul was holding out for the church in Corinth a vision of a new reality, a new possibility that is defined by the love of God as an alternative to the divisions that inflicted the church in Corinth. It is a way, a new way, a journey. And He invites you and me to embark on this way of love together. You know, describing love is like describing a smile. What is a smile? Well, a smile is the pulling of facial, facial muscles. You, you need at least 10 facial muscles to create a smile. And, and depending on how you smile, you may need like 40 or some muscles for some individuals, the way they smile. But it's a pulling of the facial muscles. That's smile. Well, that's one aspect. But you can also say that smile is a social etiquette conveying a friendly gesture. That's sociologically. That's correct too. But you can also say emotionally that it is a heartfelt affirmation to show cordiality in relationships. That's true as well. But smile can also be a for shade, a mask intending to disarm others to the hidden agenda or the ulterior motives in your heart. A smile can be faked. Just pull the right facial muscles. That can be true as well. How do you describe smile? The way we describe smile from different perspectives 
It's the same way we describe love. You need a series of descriptions to help you to nail it down, to know exactly what it means. Love is a behavior. To love is to act. So here Paul is describing a love that is busy, active thing that never ceases to work. It is always finding ways to express itself for the good of others. And of course, the greatest expression of love is God's love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life, John 3.16. So love is the way in which gifts are to, fun- are to function. Love is that foundation for gifts to operate, to make it complete, to make it meaningful. So in verses 4 to 7, first of all, he gives two positives, and then followed by eight negatives. And on the eighth negative, he balanced it with a positive counterpart. And finally, with four objects of all things and all things and all things and all things to make a summary of how we can describe love. So it is an intermingling of the positives, do it this way, and the negatives, don't do it, don't do it this way. So to show love, there are things that we should be doing and things that we should not be doing. So let's start with verse 4, two positive characteristics of love. It says love is patient and kind. Patient, it means long-suffering. Not one time, but long-suffering. To be kind. To be kind is really to consider for the sake, for the good of other people. And that's how God treated mankind through the offering of His Son, Jesus Christ, for the redemption of mankind. God is patient. God is kind to us. Through the offering of Jesus Christ, to be crucified on the cross, to die on our behalf, that we can be reconciled with the Father. That's love, patient and kind. And then it is followed by eight negative characteristics. First is not envy. Love is not envy. Love does not allow fellow believers to be in rivalry or in competition. When we have rivalry and competition, we are lacking in love. Love is not envy. And secondly, love is not boastful. To be boastful is a self-centered action that calls attention to oneself as the church in Corinth. They call attention to their wisdom, to their knowledge, and to their spiritual ability. But love is not trying to focus on yourself. You think about others. It's not boastful. And thirdly, he says, love is not arrogant, which means to be puffed up. And when we are puffed up, we often engage in unholy matters that often is unloving in its expression, and it is an unchristian lifestyle. Like the church in Corinth, they were arrogant. And fifthly, and fourthly, he says, love is not rude which means to behave shamefully or disgracefully to the point where you, you, don't, you can't bear to look at that. It is too disgraceful. That's being rude. And number five, 
negative means it says not insist on its own way. And probably, as one commentator says, this is the fullest expression of what Christian love is all about. It doesn't seek its own. It doesn't believe that finding oneself is the highest good. It is not enamored with self-gain or self-justification or self-worth. To the contrary, it seeks the good of others, neighbors, and even enemies. Like Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The sixth expression in negative is not irritable, not easily angered, not easily provoked by other people to anger. And the seventh is not resentful. It means keep no record of wrongs, that we don't settle all, all scores anymore as Jesus forgives those who crucify Him. To let it pass, to let it go, to move on. That's love. That's loving. And the number eight is the one that has the negative followed by the positive. It says, not rejoicing in wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Not delighting in evil, in, in warfare. In, in the suppression or marginalizing of, of the uh, oppressed. Not rejoicing in the fall of a brother or of a sister. Not gossiping and bad-mouthing of those who have backslided. Not celebrating silently at the failure of your competitors of other people. That's not rejoicing in wrongdoing. But rejoices with truth. Because love stands on the side of the gospel and looks for mercy and justice for all, including those who, with whom one disagrees. You speak for them, even though you disagree with the conviction for the sake of mercy and justice. And after the two positives and eight negatives that describes love, Paul follow up with four conclusions of summary that ends with all things. The first one is love bears all things. Love can put up with everything. There is nothing that love cannot face. As one writer says, love has a tenacity in the present. Buoyed by its absolute confidence in the future that enables it to love in every kind of circumstance and continually to pour itself out on behalf of others. Love bears all things because it is so confident in the future and the present knowing that we are secured in the Lord. Secondly, love believes all things. Not that love always believes the best about everything and everyone, but it means love never ceases to have faith because someone I love believes in me. Because the Lord, my God, believes in me. That helps me not to cease in having faith for everyday life. Love believes all things. Thirdly, love hopes all things. Love never loses hopes. 
as long as you have someone whom you love, as long as you feel you are being loved, with just a little a flicker of hope, you will try your best to carry on. And finally, love endures all things. Love doesn't allow itself to become overwhelmed, but perseveres steadfastly through difficult trials. Love endures because you trust that in the end, God will show mercy to your loved ones and yourself. God has the final says. Therefore, love endures all things. That's God's love. Even as I describe and, and try to explain each uh, terminology that Paul has applied to the church in Corinth, you can sense that this is God's love. We love because He first loved us, and therefore we learn how to love each other. And even as we explain up to now, probably many of you will feel that, well, that's many, many mothers' love. Two different degrees, but that sounds like mother's love that you experience as you grow up, as you are the recipients of her attention, her compassion, her kindness, and, and how she invested in your life. It's a wonderful, wonderful expression of love, even through mother's love. So today, I just want to remind you that the necessity, the necessity of love, it is confirmed in the character of love. Love is essential, but it must be confirmed in how it is being expressed, how it is being lived out, how it is being given to others around you. That confirms it. In my application today, I want to remind you about three things. One, love is costly. Love is costly. It is more than the romantic feelings that is featured most of the time in the movies and in the novels and other places. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 13 has been read and preached so often in the weddings, we somehow feel that the feeling, the love is a romantic feeling. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it is Definitely not romantic. It is written to rebuke a worldly church who compromise Christian convictions in a morally degrading society. It is not romantic, at least in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It is a call for the Corinthian church to right the wrongs by applying the costly love that is defined by God. You see, when God loves the world, it costs God the Father, His beloved Son. And it will cause you, your time, your patience, your forbearance, and your forgiveness, and many, many more, over and over again, when you choose to love. You know, C.S. Lewis reminds us that if you choose to love, be prepared to be wounded. If you do not want to be wounded, don't love. Isolate from all relationships. But he said, that will be lonely. How can you survive throughout this life in loneliness? It's, it's even more miserable than to be wounded in love. So he said, well, I'd rather be wounded in love. If you choose to love, 
you will be wounded. Today you hear this message one more time. But the knowledge about love, the preaching on love, does not automatically increase your love for others. Teaching about love, define the character of love, do not make you and me a loving person. It is the act of love. Love extended despite woundedness, despite hurt, being hurt, being misunderstood sometimes. The act of love that really matters. And love is a lifelong pursuit. We need to continue to grow in love. Love is costly. Remember that. And secondly, I want to remind you and myself that love is complex. So dispense the love that you have discreetly and wisely. It is a tough balancing act. We often struggle with when to love and when to confront with truth. When to apply discipline and say enough is enough. And when to say let's extend more grace to that individual. How many second chances should I give before I say enough is enough? When do we exercise tough love, a demanding, the ultimatum, and say enough is enough, tough love? And when should I carry on with tender love and wait like the prodigal son's father, waiting for the prodigal son to return? Love is complex. The exercise of love, the dispensing of love, it is truly complex. Because we care so much, and oftentimes we wrestle with what, what if I should have kind of a reflection. I can only share with you that we often learn how to love in a hard way. And we sought advice from other people, from mentors. And we pray before God. And we meditate on God's word over and over again. And sometimes we wait. Other times we become more matured. Then we have a better handle of applying love in a complex situation. And I can assure you, you will still misapply. But you will also be rewarded with some good outcomes. That's life. Love is complex. Be wise and be discreet. Ask God for wisdom. And finally, I just want to remind you that God, as we continue to learn how to love, that Jesus is our model of love. Jesus is the model. It has been pointed out that you can take this paragraph and insert Jesus in a place of love, and you will find it fits perfectly. In fact, it does. That if we insert love in the name of Jesus, that Jesus is patient and kind and Jesus does not envy or boast, not arrogant or rude, not insist on his own way, not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. It, it, it fits perfectly because God is love. It comes from God. And we ask the Holy Spirit to continue to help us to reproduce 
that kind of love in our lives as we continue to pursue Christ's likeness in our lives. You know, I know that I love better when I am loved. I love better when I feel secured. I love better when I know whom I belong. And I love better when I am forgiven. Think about this. You and I are loved by Jesus. And we are secure in Jesus. Our identity is in Jesus. And we are forgiven by Jesus through His finished works on the cross. So when I am right with Jesus, I have a much better grounding to love others. So if you want to grow in love, not just read more books or hear more sermons on love. Draw near to Jesus. If you want to learn how to, how to love each other, draw near to Jesus. Because in Jesus, I am in a much better grounding to show my love to other people. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you for the reminder this morning that even though it is a familiar passage, a, a much repeated sermon, and yet we are reminded this morning that Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Lord, I pray that you will teach us to draw near to you so that when we are grounded in the love of Jesus, we'll be able to dispense God's love to those around us. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.